Hello, this is Gerald Eastwood. Today we're talking about the Roswell Witness Deathbed Confession. Nick Pope, who was a contractor for the Ministry of Defense in Britain, reports that the Lieutenant Walter Hout, the former public relations officer at the base in 1947 that issued the original press release after the UFO crash, on order of his commanders, left a affidavit confirming the details of the incident as they really happened, a sworn affidavit to be opened only after his death. And the contents are now revealed, and I'm looking at them. I have them in my hands. There was a press release issued because locals were already aware of the crash site, but in fact there had been a second crash site where more debris from the craft had fallen. The plan was that by an announcement acknowledging the first site, which had been discovered by a rancher, that would divert attention from the second and more important location. Here is the affidavit. 2002 sealed affidavit of Walter G. Haught. Date, December 26, 2002. My name is Walter G. Hout. I was born on June 2, 1922. My address is 1405 West 7th Street, Roswell, New Mexico. I am retired. In July 1947, I was stationed at the Roswell Army Air Base in Roswell, New Mexico, serving as the base public information officer. I was aware that someone had reported the remains of a downed vehicle by mid-morning after my return to duty at the base on Monday, July 7th. I was aware that Major Jesse Marcel, head of intelligence, was sent by the base commander, Colonel Blanchard, to investigate. On Tuesday morning, July 8th, I would attend the regularly scheduled staff meeting at 7.30 a.m. At that meeting, samples of the wreckage were passed around the table. It was like any material I've ever seen in my life. Pieces which resembled metal foil, paper thin yet extremely strong, and pieces with unusual markings along their length were handed from man to man, each voicing their opinion. No one was able to identify the crash debris. One of the concerns discussed at the meeting was whether we should go public or not with the discovery. General Ramey proposed a plan, which I believe originated with his bosses at the Pentagon. Attention needed to be diverted from the more important site north of town by acknowledging the other location. Too many civilians were already involved. At 9.30 a.m., Colonel Blanchard phoned my office and dictated the press release of having in our possession a flying disc coming from a ranch northwest of Roswell and Marcel flying the material to higher headquarters. I was to deliver the news release to radio stations and newspapers. By the time the news hit the wire services, my office was inundated with phone calls from around the world. Before leaving the base, Colonel Blanchard took me personally to Building 84, a B-29 hangar located on the east side of the tarmac. Upon first approaching the building, I observed it was under heavy guard. Once inside, I was permitted from a safe distance to first observe the object just recovered. It was about 12 to 15 feet in length, not quite as wide, 6 feet high, more of an egg shape. Lighting was poor, but its surface did appear metallic. No windows 
portals, wings, tail section, or landing gear were visible. Also, from a distance, I was able to see a couple of bodies under a canvas tarpaulin. Only the heads extended beyond the covering, and I was not able to make out any features. I was informed of a temporary morgue set up to accommodate the recovered bodies. I would be allowed to make at least one visit to one of the recovery sites during the military cleanup. I would return to the base with some of the wreckage which I would display in my office. I am convinced that what I personally observed was some type of craft and its crew from outer space. This statement is to remain sealed and secured until the time of my death, at which time my surviving family will determine its disposition. Signed, Walter G. Hout. Now, where did this material, where did these bodies go? I believe Area 51. If you recall, in 1989, major revelations came out of Las Vegas about Robert Scott Lazar. He initially worked at Los Alamos, but then in 1988 and 89, he says he reverse-engineered extraterrestrial technology at a secret site, S-4, part of Area 51. It's located some kilometers south of, of 51. At the time he worked there, the government would not even officially acknowledge its existence. I don't believe the government acknowledged the existence of Area 51 until 2013. This is called stonewalling. Lazar stated that he did examine an alien craft that ran on an antimatter reactor powered by Element 115. And later that year, he was interviewed by George Knapp, a CBS affiliate reporter in Las Vegas, and the story became public. TV station KLAS, under the pseudonym Dennis, and with his face hidden, he discussed his employment at S4. He said the facility was adjacent to Papoose Lake, which is adjacent to the main Area 1 facility at Groom Lake. He said the site consists of concealed hangars that are built into a mountainside. In a subsequent interview that November, he appeared unmasked under his own name, where he said that he worked for contractor EG&G, and his employer was the U.S. Navy. He also said the seats of the flying object he saw were about child size, and he had seen alien cadavers of a corresponding size. Now, his employment as a physicist at Los Alamos is mentioned in various New Mexico newspaper articles from the summer of 82. And he was found in a telephone directory of Los Alamos by the CBS reporter in Las Vegas. He has passed a polygraph test. In March of 89, he, his wife, and his best friend, Gene Huff, as well as John Lear, visited the perimeter of Area 51. Three separate visits. On the last visit, he was detained and taken to a nearby Air Force base. John Lear took videos of the saucer-shaped amber spacecraft they observed through an 8-inch telescope the night they were at the perimeter. They said it performed impossible maneuvers. The G-forces would have rendered it impossible for a human pilot. So he passed a polygraph. He's obviously telling the truth. He believes he's telling the truth. My only thought is this. 
Was he set up for a short time in Area 51? Had they psychologically profiled him? Knew that he would only be there a short time? Knew that in all likelihood he was going to talk? In other words, let him talk. We will then discredit him, the government that is, and no one will ever believe anything from that point. That's the most direct solution to this enigma, in my humble opinion. I recently appeared on The Other Side of Midnight with Richard Hoagland, which is an absolutely brilliant show. If you Google it, you can look at our streaming interview of almost three hours, which culminated in the third hour with a discussion of the JFK conspiracy, which my stepfather, John Stringer, was indirectly a part of because he took the autopsy photos at Bethesda Naval Hospital. He was never, quote, part of the conspiracy, but he was part of the story. Let me put it that way. He was a very honest man. And he had a individual that worked for him, William Pitzer, who was mysteriously murdered right after the autopsy, well within a few years. He was murdered. He was found murdered. The video he took of the autopsy was never found. Uh, there was a ladder next to his office at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, and at the top of the ladder is where he would keep the hidden video that he took of the entire autopsy. He was about to retire. He was about to launch a career in media with the video. And also they found a pistol in his hand, but it was the wrong hand. They never found the video. This is Gerald Eastwood. You have a good day and a good year.